You're listening to the Murphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Murphology Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy, aka Murph, and I am here to give tips and information about group bicycling and bicycle touring with a focus on the Midwest and hopefully provide some entertainment for you as well. Well, with me today is Leah, and she just got back from a pretty epic trip of biking across the United States. So, hey, Leah. Hi. Glad to have you on the show. And she did this bike ride with her son, Oakley, but he's at school right now. So we're going to just have to uh, hope that she can answer any questions on his behalf, right? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I am excited to hear about your adventure across the United States. But I wanted to uh, find out first, like, how you got into bicycling as an adult. You know, I I didn't learn to drive until I was 23 years old. Oh, wow. So I biked, yeah, I biked everywhere. Um, I, I just really love being active and I love being outdoors. And, you know, I so I biked just as a, my only form of transportation until I was 23. And then after that, it just sort of stuck with me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah never went away. Cool. Well, um, tell us a bit about where you live and what the bicycling or the culture is like there. So I actually live on an island off the coast of Portland. It's called Peaks Island, and it's a small island. It's about five miles around, a mile across. So the biking on the island itself is pretty limited. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny because a lot of people come out here to bike because it's a beautiful ride around the island, but I always go off the island, (laughs) and I just bike along the coast of Maine. It's beautiful because there's a lot of roads right here that go right out onto the peninsulas along the water, and you can go forever. So, is it an island that has like a highway between you and uh, the rest of the land, or boat? Oh, no. It has a ferry. Oh, a ferry! Yeah. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah. So the ferry—it's a commuter ferry. It runs once an hour. Oh, okay. It's so fairly easy. So yeah. you're not like trapped on your island until that ferry comes if it's coming every hour. You're not trapped. You can feel trapped, but you're not. <laughs> you're not trapped. <laughs> so yeah, a casual bike ride around the neighborhood is pretty much, you know, roaming around the entire island, it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Well, It's um, all of 15 minutes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a quick ride, yeah. But like you yeah. said, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what kind of biking adventures have you been on um, before you made this um, excursion across the United States? Well, you know, I'm not. I, I've biked a bunch in my adult life, but not nothing big like this. Like I've done some three day trips with some friends. Um, when I was younger, I used to get on my bike and try to get lost. That was the big fun to bike <laughs> and take every turn I didn't know. Um, so, yeah, I, I've I've always loved biking, but I haven't. I wasn't like a bike enthusiast. It was just one of the things I like to do outside. Right. So when you did like your two or three day um, bike rides with friends, was that like a camping kind of deal or a town to town? That was to an Airbnb. I, that, there's three friends. My, well, my husband and two of my friends. Um, we do this every summer. We go away for three days on our bikes, and you know we live it up. We stay in a nice place, little cabin on a lake. Sure. It's a lot of fun. Sure. Yeah. That sounds very fun. Well, well, let's get into uh, the Transamerica. How did you decide to go from a casual weekend trip with friends to months and months and months on your bicycle? Um, well, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I'm a, I, I'm a um, mental health counselor. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I, all of the work I do with people is about how um, it's just really important to, to pursue our goals, especially if they're healthy goals. 
Um, and that's like the key. It's so simple, but that's like the key to a healthy, healthy, happy life. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to bike across the country. Um, and Oakley, Oakley needed to bike across the country. My son is really restless and doesn't do so well sitting in like, you know, the routines of everyday life. He just wants to go and go and go and have adventures. So I thought, you know, you and me both, buddy, we got to get out of here. I need to stop sitting around in my, you know, on my, in my office every day and, mm-hmm. and you need an adventure. So that's how. So it sounds like it's a perfect fit. Yeah, it was the perfect. We are. The, yeah, it was definitely the perfect fit. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you went, you started on the West Coast and went to the East Coast. Is that correct? Yes. So what were the, like, starting town and ending town? I feel like it's Astoria, Oregon, but maybe I'm wrong. It is Astoria, Oregon. Okay. And then it, yeah, and then it ends in um, Yorktown, Virginia, and it's not a straight line. It goes just up. It's like, it makes a huge zigzag across the country. Oh, Okay. And I, you know, I interviewed a young man who did the same thing, um, probably about the same time as you. And I forgot to ask him, but is there ever a time that you come through Iowa on that route? No. Oh, no. We so you're, Iowa. so you're Iowa. probably uh, south, like Missouri? Yeah, we go through Missouri. Ah, okay. Too bad. Um, yeah. Well, what was your total yeah. mileage? Yeah. Do you remember? I do remember. It was 4,359. Wow. I know. That's really, like, do you ever just sit down and think about that? Like, I rode my bike over 4,000 miles. It's just, that's just mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it's almost, I almost don't believe it. (laughs) You know, knowing knowing myself, I'm like, I did that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And um, describe the terrain of Transamerica. I'm assuming that you're on low traffic roads, maybe some highways, and then trails, maybe? Yeah, well... No, no real trails. It's an incredible route because, well, you know, it was it, it was created in 1976, and so it's been going for a while. And the route just takes you through all these small towns mm-hmm. and on really small roads as much as it can. You don't really go near any big cities at all. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So whenever they can, they seem to stick you on these roads that are even like one lane roads through like the hollers of Kentucky or whatever, where there's, you don't see any other traffic all day. Sometimes you do have to go on a busier road, but there's always a, a wide shoulder. Um, there's only one or two places where it did it didn't feel good because of you know truck traffic or mm-hmm. a lane was closed and you're all pushed together. But really, it's a it's it feels really safe and and everybody along the route is expecting bikers, which is really nice too. People have eye out for bikers. Yeah, because when you say um, it started or it was developed in 1976, it's a specific route, right? So people since yeah. 1976 have been taking this exact same route. Yeah, this is this is the cross continental one. There's also, or the Cross America one, but there's also, um, Transamerica has trails all over the mm-hmm. United States. There's one on the East Coast, there's one a Southern Tier, there's one that goes around the Great Lakes. So they're really trying to make these routes, um, if bikers keep using their routes, then those routes get known as, you know, bike-friendly and it kind of builds on itself. The safety builds on itself. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. How long did it take you to do this for 4,300 miles? Yeah, 84 days. 84 days and did you take yeah. any days off like any breaks yeah we took we took six days off oh my goodness yeah that's a lot of I saddle time we had taken more but we fall was coming and we had to get we had a rush to get back before it got too cold and then um you know you mentioned when you were on your weekend travels with friends you do like airbnbs or uh, cabins how were you on this trip were you camping or hotels or um, hostels yeah, so we didn't have a lot of money for this trip. We had to be really low budget. Um, 
I wasn't working. It was kind of crazy. But anyway, so we camped, and I also love camping. We camped, I think I think it comes out to like 62 of the nights, something like that. Mm. And the other nights we've stayed in, um, you're allowed to stay in fire stations along the way or church basements. Um, so there, there's a lot of ways to make it much cheaper than it would be if you were staying in hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, other people do, for sure. They do, We call them um, credit card travelers. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, yeah. Um, but there are campsites that the, the route has a place to stay probably every 50 to 75 miles. Mm. And like you mentioned, the fire stations or the churches, um, again, they are used to bike traffic. So they're probably, if they've been welcoming in the past, they'll be welcoming in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, it's, I mean, it seems like they really enjoy it because it's, 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 I think it's fun to have people bike through from far away and yeah, doors just flew open. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And then uh, for any, you know, moms out there who are thinking about uh, traveling 84 days with their teenage sons, how did that go? (laughs) Well, this is when I wish he was here as well to talk to you. But, you know, we really, we did really well. We got along really well. I mean, of course, we got really sick of each other. And we would, you know, he would say, you're so annoying. And I'd say, you're even more annoying. You know, I mean, that would happen. But that would happen, I think, with with anybody. And I think what what was really cool about this is that I feel like it it transformed our relationship a bit in Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm still his mom. He's still my kid. He still drives me crazy, but I really needed him and Mm -hmm. he knew I needed him. So it kind of changes the whole dynamic to be like, this isn't me nagging you. This is me saying, you're my partner and I'm, I'm about to pass out. I need some help here. You don't help me with whatever happens to be. So it was very visible, but I was a person, not just his mom. So yeah, we have, it's, I feel like we have quite the bond right now. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that uh your relationship changed dramatically with this trip. Yeah. No, yeah. It's 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 incredible. That was a huge a huge bonus. I mean, it's it's a big reason why we went and I feel like it worked. Yeah. And I yeah. um will probably mention it at the end of the podcast, but you have a really cool blog about this and I just laughed out loud. Uh there was a point I think Oakley was actually writing that version of the blog, but he was complaining that he wasn't going to get to use his phone very often. And so you guys had compromised that. I think it was maybe once a week that he got to get on the phone and talk to his friends. Yep. And I can, I can only imagine, you know, me as a grown up, if somebody told me I could only use my phone (laughs) once a week, I would probably be like, uh, I don't think I can go on that trip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty funny because, but, but it was, everything's just so when all you're doing is biking, um, there's not a lot of other distractions. And so things become really clear. And he was able to acknowledge that even in talking to his friends once a week, he would always be homesick the next day. And, uh-huh. you know, he'd always be grumpy the next day. And he'd say, I'm just in a bad mood because I talked to my friends yesterday. So it became sort of like he became self-regulating about it. Like, do you really, like sometimes when he'd have his week or his time to talk on the phone, he would choose to use it to like watch videos. Oh, wow. And he has good friendships, but he knew it was too hard yeah. to kind of bridge both worlds. Yeah, I was going to say it's com- two completely worlds at that time. Yeah, and they don't get it. Your friends at home don't really, as much as they love you, but especially teenage friends, they don't, they can't picture it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I did read that you have other children. Were they, like, jealous or excited, or do they wish that they were on the trip as well? Um, I think, well, they're all different, you know, but I think, I, th- I, I have two sons that are in their 20s. I think they were excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were very... They were really helpful in the preparation 
of you know the trip helping me like take my bike apart and all that and they were they enjoyed reading my blog and they were just excited i think my daughter who is 20 i think she was jealous mm-hmm. um not that she wanted to do it she made it perfectly clear <laughs> that she was really glad she didn't have to do this but there was a you know there's a sort of like um i don't know i think they they could see that it's it, it it became this big thing and they, and she felt like she was on the outside of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, when you look at the actual route, um, do you recall any like favorite towns that you visited? Yes, there, I do have a favorite town and I mean, there was a lot of beautiful places. It was mind bogglingly beautiful. It was such a great way to see the country, but I really fell in love with this town called wisdom. Hmm. Yeah. And it's in Montana and it is this tiny little town. Um, and it's surrounded by miles upon miles upon miles of just sagebrush. Ooh. And, yeah, and the population is like 159 or something like that. It's tiny. And it was just, it was just this magical town. Everybody there, you know, they, they probably were all cattle ranchers, I, I would suppose. But we, the night that we got there, um, it just smelled so delicious. And there was a little saloon and we went in and the whole town was in that saloon. And they had the door open, and they were making pizzas, and a dog walked into the saloon and peed on the floor, and everybody just laughed. It was just so casual, and everybody was so so welcoming to us. So then that night when we went to sleep, we were sleeping out in a field that they had allotted for travelers right outside town. And there was, like, coyotes and, like, yodeling and cows lowing all together, and oh the stars were just incredible, and we were, it was, it was both of us, it's our, both of our favorite towns. We just couldn't believe that such a place existed. And you said it's Wisdom, Montana? Yeah. Awesome. It's like sounds like a hidden yeah. gem. Yeah, it really was. Wow. Yeah. So on these um, 84 days of travel, uh, anything go wrong, like mechanical issues or flat tires or whatever? Oh, yeah. I think a lot went wrong. <laughs> but I think that was part of <laughs> Yeah, we had... We had a lot of mechanical issues. We had our bikes were built from recycled parts by a local. It's called the Gear Hub, the Portland Gear Hub, mm. um, and they were really great, strong bikes. But you know, we were carrying almost a hundred pounds on each bike's bike, and it's just wear and tear. Yeah, um, its spokes break a lot. We we went through. We we got several flats, and then we actually wore out a tire made of Kevlar, which mm. was supposed to be impossible to do, but it just happened. Wow. So, yeah, the brakes, our chains broke, brakes got worn out. Um, so we went. To, we probably ended up in six or seven bike stores along the way getting things repaired. We try to repair things on the road, but you often can't. Like, I can't, I'm not that mechanically savvy. I can't fix spokes on the road. Right. Other people can, but I can't. So how did you deal with that? I mean, were you out in the middle of nowhere, or were you close enough to some town you could walk in? No, we were always in the middle of nowhere when it would happen. <laughs> um <laughs> Lucky us, but we we would hitchhike in town, and it was so easy to hitchhike. I don't know. I mean, I am a woman with a son, so I'm pretty safe to pick up. But also, like desperation, I would go up to you know a car parked on the side of the road and knock on their window and be like, "Can you can you take us into town?" Sure. And, you know, people. One of our big lessons was that everybody will help you if you ask. Mm-hmm. Nobody will necessarily volunteer to help you, or people don't necessarily come to you. But if you come to somebody and say, "Look, it, we're stuck out here in the desert," people help. And then we met the most wonderful people who would pick us up. And those are some of, like, our most memorable interactions with people. You'd sitting in a car for 20 minutes with somebody, getting to know, you know, what their life was like in these obscure, tiny towns across America. Yeah, I can't imagine. That would be just pretty cool. 
It was really cool, yeah. And how about weather issues? You know, we were there's three main weather issues. The first was the heat. Uh, a lot of the trip was in the high 90s, the first half. Ooh. I had a good bout of heat exhaustion along the way. Um, but, like, crazy hot. Like, crazy going up a pass in the nine, in high 90s with a 100-pound bike. Mm-hmm. Just too hot. So that was, a, that was a challenge. The wind was a challenge. It's very, very windy in the middle of the country. Um, and there's no, I feel like there's no such thing as a tailwind. I think that's just the whole, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're never going the way you want. And sometimes it would be literally, you know, blowing a sustained 30 with gusts up to 50. Oh, you'd be gosh. biking, you had no choice. And so you'd barely be moving, but you know, you, what are you going to do? Um, and then the rain, you know, we didn't mind biking in the rain that much. I really don't love camping in the rain, mm-hmm. getting up when it's raining and taking down a tent in the rain is just the worst. Um, and like trying to cook breakfast in the rain because we cooked all our meals. So, but the rain wasn't so bad. That was only at the end, at the last week once you hit the East Coast. So, hmm. I did a trip uh, this past July, um, just within the state of Iowa. But it was an eleven day trip, and oh, wow. it, the temperatures were right around a hundred every day. And yeah. gosh, it it really messes with you physically, but then also mentally. Like you're just like. I can't breathe. Everything's so heavy. Like I, so yeah. I, you know, I didn't do it for as many days as you, but I definitely know how that feels. Like yeah. you just can't drink enough water and nothing tastes good. And yeah, I, yeah, I feel for you. Yeah. And sleeping in that heat is really hard too, because you have a sleeping bag. Yeah. And you don't want to get in that. So you just sit there just lying on it, <clears throat> wishing the night would end. Right. It's crazy when it gets that hot. Yeah. Just thinking about how hot you are the whole time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Uh, how was uh, navigation? Like, did you get lost at all, or was it pretty easy to follow the Trans-American Trail? You know, it is pretty easy. The times we got lost, we did get lost. Um, <clears throat> we actually figured this out the other day. I think we did 129 miles extra mm-hmm. um, <laughs> getting lost, which really isn't that bad. I mean, looking back, who cares? At the time, it's devastating, right. you know, when you realize right. what's happening. But every time I got lost, the maps are great. They're so clear. But the like the one time I got lost, the farthest distance, I had just hit the Mississippi River and just headed south on it. And there was actually a tailwind. And I was just so happy. I just didn't look at the maps. And I went like 25 miles out of the way. <laughs> I was just like, look at us on the flats going flat. You know, they're just going flat. Um, and then I would often get lost in towns. Because, again, I just get distracted. The map said it all. But I'd be like, oh, look, a coffee shop. Oh, look, a, you know. So, but other than that, it was very clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you you briefly mentioned your bike setup. You said you both had bikes uh, made with recycled parts. But, um, like, I'm assuming that you had bags on the front and bags on the back, especially if you were, you know, hauling 100 pounds. But do you want to tell us a little bit about your setup? So we had we both had front and rear panniers, and then we both had handlebar bags, so another back bag across the front, uh, and then my son carried the tent because he is stronger than me. I will mm-hmm. tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the and the bikes were really incredible because the way that we the way that the gear hub did it is that they had recycled frames, and then all the components you know that wear and t- have wear and tear wear out. They were new, and they were they completely matched each other. Oh, okay. The frames were different, but the components were the same. So that way we only had to really learn one system. And if something broke, we might have a spare, you know, for the other persons. But we had we could just bring one set of everything. Right. So, yeah. And yeah. after the trip, like, can you now change a spoke? Or are you still at the point where you're like, nah, I'm going to call someone? 
you know, I could change a spoke. It's more about not having the, the all the uh, what you need to do it. You know, it's a hard to. I could do it like if I had all the time in the world and yeah. I could sit there and make sure my bike was true and the wheels were going. But when you're sitting in the desert and it's not flat and you don't really have what it takes to all the you know right. the, the tools or the. I just sometimes just feel a little overwhelmed. And it was never one spoke that break, broke. It'd be like four. Oh. And I would, it would just get overwhelming. Yeah. So. I'm the but same. But I do, I mean, yeah. I, I could, I can fix it. I can change tires and chain links and all those little adjust gears, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a definitely yeah. a different experience, though, when you're uh, at a bench inside of a building with every tool you need exactly. versus, like you mentioned, in the middle of the desert with, yeah. you know, uh, dusk on the horizon mm-hmm. and the hundred degrees you're just like get me out of here yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. well I always love to ask everybody um, if you know with all that gear on your bike do you ever carry uh, luxury items like whether it's a book or a special something that you probably don't need but you just want yeah well you know we did we, we were kind of homeschooling a little bit because mm-hmm. he was missing a semester my son was missing a semester of school so he had to carry his books. And then one of the nice things that uh, that we did on the trip is, so I would have a book that I was reading to myself. He would have a book that he was reading to himself. And then we had a book that we were reading out loud. Oh, yeah. And what we would do is we would, you know, we'd read out loud. And then while we biked during the day, I would tell him the story of the book I was reading to myself. And he would tell me the story of the book he was reading to himself. So there's so much storytelling. But it does make, you know, we had a pannier full of books. But it, it was entertainment, you know. We would talk, and we'd stretch out these stories so they'd last for, you know, we'd probably spend two hours a day yeah. recounting the stories that we'd been reading at night in our tent. Yeah. So that was a, definitely a luxury item. That's, yeah, and all I can think about is how heavy books are. <laughs> yeah, it was so heavy, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was a non-negotiable. You had to carry them, especially if you wanted yeah, to. And I also carried, yeah, we also carried pillows. That was pretty luxury. Oh, yeah. I'm a big pillow fan. That, that makes a big difference when, you know, you wad up a um, sweatshirt as a pillow versus a real pillow. Yeah. Yeah, I could sleep anywhere with a pillow. Well, yeah. can you think of any, like, do's or don'ts when you're thinking about this tour? I would say don't listen to ev- the things that everybody's afraid of. And something we experienced a lot is everywhere we went, people would tell us what was going to kill us in the next state. You know, oh, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, the winds of Kansas are going to kill you. Oh, that pass, you'll never get over it. It's due to hail. Oh, those dogs in Kentucky, they're going to eat you alive. There's always something to be afraid of. Um, and so I think that we spent a lot of time really anxious. And in retrospect, like, we are fine. All you have to do is bike. That's all you have to do. Yeah. And you just deal with things as they come. It's the worrying about it that's just, don't worry about it. You can, it's all It's all going to unfold. Um, yeah, so it's that's to do and a don't all at once. Like, do just go for it and don't worry. Sure, sure. And yeah. you, you mentioned that you, you know, especially like when you were catching rides into town, that you um, met some great people, but anybody like you're staying in touch with? Well, you know, the whole world of social media has opened up some relationships that are really oh, yeah. nice. We, we met a couple of, um, you know, other bikers out there, not a ton, um, but it was fun because we like exchange cards and we still kind of follow each other. So those people, for sure. Uh, there's some people that are still out there. There's somebody, you know, I met somebody who's doing a six-month tour. We actually met somebody who was out there for 19 years. 19 years? Yeah, he just never stopped. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, online friends. Um, and certainly if I went back through, 
I, there's places that I'd want to, I don't know, are they friends or just people you'd like to know again? Like, I would like to do this trip again, and I would love to go hang out, you know, go back to the Mallard Duck Campground and meet that funny man that gave, wanted to give us a ride and see him <laughs> again. That would be really fun to me. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. They're not necessarily, you know, friends you want to have over for dinner, but just to have the engagement again and to hear stories and you're right. Yeah. Well, uh, now fast forward to the finish. What was that like? The day of the finish or just being finished? The day of the finish was just, it was incredible. Coming through Virginia, the last um, uh, 50 miles maybe a little bit more, is all on a bike trail. Ooh. And so it's really it's really nice. It's a really wide, perfectly paved bike trail. And so you, it ha- you have this natural sort of transition from all the stress and strain of the biking to just biking. It's all flat on this trail. And so we could ride next to each other and just sort of just get, just, just relax. Our big finish came, our most, the best part of our finish was the night before we actually finished. Mm. Um, we were camping in this campground and um, it was a beautiful night. We had a fire, and my son was really into the – he's gone to camp, so he's really into, like, camp rituals. And he wanted to talk about highs and lows, and then he wanted to talk about what we appreciated the most about, about each other. I mean, it was crazy cheesy. And then in the morning – and he slept – oh, he slept out by the fire instead of being in our tent, which was really nice. And then in the morning, um, as we were packing up, the craziest thing, we heard this huge sound coming, and I literally thought it was, like, a military jet or something. And then suddenly, like, the whole – sky filled with grackles and not i mean we've all seen flocks of grackles but this was like thousands i've never seen so many grackles wow and it was so loud and it just they filled our whole campsite and then they flushed out some uh hawks and some turkey vultures that started circling over the ground over air or the sky and then a um raccoon came running across our campground oh and gosh. it was it was just so crazy loud and we couldn't help but feel like oh this was like a send-off party like we had done it that was the, <laughs> Yeah, that was the finish to be like, look at us in this party out here. Wow. Yeah. So that was, it was great. Wow. And then, so then you're finished, you make it back home, probably enjoy the first couple nights of like, you know, whatever you want to eat out of the fridge and a bed and shower and all that good stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But have you adjusted to life? Not being on the bike all day, every day? You know, it's actually quite an adjustment. It is a, it is a hard adjustment. Mm. I, I'm. I want to be active all the time now. It's hard for me to think of being still. Oh, um, yeah. And of course, I'm exercising, but it's very different to go from biking for six to eight hours a day to like exercising for an hour a day. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, it's it's a strange thing. Um, and I have to get a job. You know, I closed <laughs> my private practice, and now I like the reality of that. And I find myself talking about like my next adventure, and my husband, who's like infinitely supportive, is is like is like. Um, before you talk about the next adventure, <laughs> let's talk about getting a job. <laughs> so it's, everybody's really nice, but it is an adjustment. Like, oh, yeah, I got to figure that out. <laughs> um, have you actually been on your bike since you've gotten back? I have. Oh, good. And I think I'm going to be a, a winter bike enthusiast this year, actually. I have Ooh. a friend that I, I bike with every Wednesday morning, um, and we've both decided that this is the winter that we're just going to see if we can just not stop, even in the... The, you know the snows of February. Yeah, I was just going to ask. I don't know what the weather is like there in the winter time. Does it is there snow on the ground all winter? Yes. Ah, so does that yeah. mean you'll have to upgrade to like a fat bike or a bike with big tires? Well, the Gear Hub in Portland is giving a seminar on winter biking and putting like um, studs on your tires. Oh, sure. 
and whatnot. So, you know, I'm just going to have fun with it this year. I, you know, I really, for me, it's really important to be outside, um, no matter what the weather, or I go crazy. Like in the winter, if I don't just get out there, I can't handle it. So this is going to be, I'll try it all out this year. And it will be snowy. I mean, they plow, but it is snowy and icy for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember the quote, but it's it's never really about the weather. It's just about the clothing selection. So you can always... Okay. Yeah. Add more wool or, you know, more layers and you'll still have a great time out there. Absolutely. I just I just watched a, uh, something on YouTube about a man who biked across Antarctica. So I'm Ooh. like, you know, I think I could handle going for an hour long ride once a week. <laughs> 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 I don't yeah. uh, well, would you recommend to people who have the dream to do what you did? Can they do it or Absolutely. should they do it? Absolutely. And I don't even think you need to train because it, it trains you. Mm-hmm. Just do it. There's no reason not to do it. Awesome. And you briefly mentioned this, but do you have uh, adventures on the horizon? I always have a lot of adventures <laughs> on the horizon. It doesn't mean that I have like a date in mind for them, but right. I, wa- I would love to do a lot more bike touring. This totally woke me up to like this. It's just such a great way to see the world and mm-hmm. to meet the different people of the world. And it's such a perfect pace. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you haven't looked it up, I would highly recommend you check out ragbri.com because it's a seven-day tour. Um, you don't necessarily have to carry all your gear. I always do. But the nice thing about it is it's, you know, all the roads don't really have traffic because there's 15,000 bicyclists that kind of take over. So at least wow. look look into it. It's a really fun, um, at least I think of it as a really fun tour. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if people want to learn more about your adventure, your blog, or a website, is there a place they can go look and read? Absolutely, yeah. There's, I, I have a blog called bikemum.com. Mm-hmm. It's B-I-K-E-M-U-M.com. And I'm also in the midst of writing a book about um, using it outdoors as a, as a venue to parent, basically. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to uh, seeing a book on the horizon and for sure check out bikemum.com, right? It was .com? Yep. Yep, bikemum.com. I I really enjoyed reading through all of your um, different entries. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed meeting you and hearing about your adventure and um, look forward to following your blog to see what you do next. Thank you very much. Well, how about a touring tip? Let's talk cycling must-haves. Typically, when you're on a multi-day tour, you have several panniers and bags with lots of space for all your stuff. Here is my list of 10 must-haves that I always have on my bike, no matter how far I plan to go. So first on my list is a patch kit with levers and a spare tube. I have a tiny under seat bag that holds my patch kit, the levers, and a spare tube, and they're all smashed into this tiny bag. I only need to get into it when I have a flat, but I know it will be there when I need it. Also stuffed into that little under seat bag is my number two must have, which is a CO2 cartridge and inflator. Both are very small, but critical if I get a flat tire. You could substitute a bike pump instead of the CO2 cartridge, but most bike pumps are too long for the underseat bag, so you'll have to find a home for it in one of your other bags. Number three must have is a multi-tool kit. Most of these are pretty compact and include 
anywhere from 10 to 20 different tools that will help you with most adjustments you may need while on the road. An extra tip, be sure to buy a multi-tool that's stainless steel so that your tools are nice and strong and they won't rust. Number four must have for me is some sort of charging device. On my touring bike, I have a hub generator and a USB port, so all I really need to remember is a phone cord or whatever cord I need. On the other bikes that I ride, I bring along a power bank, which can be plugged in when I have access to electricity and can usually charge my phone or lights several times. I also have a solar charger that sometimes I carry along. When using the sun, it rarely gets above 50% full, but it's good enough to keep my phone in working order. On most tours, my goal is to be as unplugged as possible, but I still like to have the option to know my phone is ready if needed or if wanted. I mean, everybody's got to use social media at some point, right? Number five on the must-have list is skin protection. This means sunscreen, lip balm with SPF, and bug spray. You can easily get compact sizes in these products, and in my opinion, it's well worth the space that they take up versus dealing with the after effects of a sunburn or a bunch of mosquito bites. Number six is a bike lock. So when on bike tours, typically I'm never very far from my bike, so instead of carrying a heavy-duty lock, I made the choice to use a lightweight lock. Potential thieves will hopefully see the lock, which mine is bright orange, and keep moving. I think if my bike is a target and someone really wants to steal it, they're probably going to steal it no matter how heavy-duty my lock is. So if I can just deter a thief from taking my bike, it's well worth carrying a lock. Next up is number seven, a rain jacket. I have a Showers Pass raincoat, which was a pretty expensive addition to my bicycle accessories, so that's one of the reasons it makes my must-have list. No need to spend hundreds of dollars on an item that just hangs in my closet. I have it folded up real tight into a Ziploc bag, so it just hangs out waiting to be used. Obviously, it's for rainy weather, but it also works nice if I get caught outside and the temperatures drop lower than expected. Number eight must-have is a snack of some sort. I almost always have a Cliff Bar. It's packaged good enough that it can get shuffled around in my bags. Most of my tours involve stops where food is available, but it's nice to have a little something to get me going when the going gets tough. And of course, if by chance food is not available, at least have some calories to get me through to the next stop. Number nine is lights. Even when you just know you'll be done on the bike before dark, there's always a chance darkness creeps in way too soon. Maybe you had a mechanical issue or a flat tire that took too long to repair, or maybe that last town was so much fun you stayed much longer than expected. For those reasons alone, I always have some sort of front and rear light. My touring bike, as I mentioned before, has a hub generator, so both my front and rear lights are connected to it, but my other bikes do not, so I always have extra lights. You just never know when you're going to need them, and you'd be surprised when you bike with a group just how many people have been stuck at dusk without lights. If you keep spare lights on your bike, be sure to check them regularly to be certain they are in working order. So my last must-have is water. Yes, water. Dehydration is no joke, and weather conditions, along with sweat, can suck that water right out of you. Get cages attached to your bike frame that hold water bottles, or carry a water bladder. Moose Treks makes a handy round bag that fastens to your handlebars and holds a water bottle perfectly. Carry more water than you think you'll need. Seriously, do it. 
Your top 10 must-haves may be different from mine, but definitely think about some of the items you can't be without and find a place on your bike to bring them along every ride. That's this week's touring tip. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Check out morphologypodcast.com to find all kinds of great info and email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate your time today and thanks for tuning in to listen to the Morphology Podcast. I will leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of Morphology. This quote comes from Belva Davis. Don't be afraid of the space between your dreams and your reality. If you can dream it, you can make it so. Think about it.